Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight here on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. We are the retro show that talks about everything having to do with the baby boomer years, growing up as a baby boomer, being born as a baby boomer, turning into adulthood as a baby boomer. We even have people that are not baby boomers listening in quite a bit, in fact. You know, we love this show, and we love bringing it to you. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And sometimes we don't really love bringing it to you because there are people we've lost, uh, notable celebrities in American pop culture, but we do like to pay our respects to them, Smitty. We've lost a few more, unfortunately. We did, Mike, and we have uh, some obituaries here that we'd like to remember some very well-known, well-loved individuals we recently lost. And we begin with Jonathan Winters, the wildly inventive actor and comedian who appeared in such films as It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. He died on April 12th, and Mr. Winters was 87. He died of natural causes at his home in Montecito, California. Jonathan Winters was known for his comic irreverence, switching characters the way other people flick on light switches. His routines were full of non-sequiturs and surreal jokes. Though he never had a breakout starring role, over the years his appearances on TV shows made him a popular figure in the entertainment world. He was a favorite guest on The Tonight Show, particularly in the early 1960s when Jack Parr hosted it. He also was a featured player on the game show The Hollywood Squares. Other appearances were on Dean Martin's Celebrity Roasts, The Ed Sullivan Show, and countless variety shows. In addition, Mr. Winters worked in nightclubs and was a featured performer on NBC Radio's Monitor program in the 1960s. Jonathan Winters showed his range with an occasional dramatic role. In an episode of The Twilight Zone, he played a shark-like pool player. In the 1994 film The Shadow, he played Alec Baldwin's police chief uncle. He was also a prolific recording artist, producing more than a dozen comedy records, including 1960's The Wonderful World of Jonathan Winters. Alan Arbus, who played the role of psychiatrist Major Sidney Friedman on the popular 1970s show MASH, died on April 19th at his home in Los Angeles. Mr. Arbus was 95. He left the successful fashion photography business he and his wife had built to become an actor. And in so doing, Mr. Arbus appeared in films like Coffee and Crossroads and was a TV regular during the 1970s and 80s, appearing on Taxi, Starsky and Hutch, Matlock, and other shows. But by far, his best-known role was that of Major Sidney Friedman, a psychiatrist who appeared in numerous episodes of M.A.S.H. He treated wounds of the psyche, much as Captain Hawkeye Pierce treated surgery patients, with a never-ending string of zingers. Mr. Arbus married in 1941, and he and his wife became passionate about photography. They shot fashion photographs for department stores before Mr. Arbus left to serve as a photographer in the Army Signal Corps in Burma during World War II. When he was discharged in 1946, the Arbuses established a studio on West 54th Street in New York for fashion photography and soon won a contract from Condé Nast to supply photos for magazines like Glamour and Vogue. He started his acting career in 1956. Deanna Durbin, who attained worldwide popularity as a child star in the 1930s while starring in a series of musicals, has died. She was 91. The exact date of her passing was not released, however, it was on or around April 20th. Miss Durbin had been discovered in junior high school in Los Angeles and cast in a series of warm musical comedies. By age 17, she was one of Hollywood's hottest stars. By the end of the 1930s, Miss Durbin had become one of the biggest box office stars of the period. 
At age 15, Deanna Durbin made her feature film debut in Three Smart Girls, starring as one of three sisters trying to prevent their father from marrying a gold digger. With her singing ability and charisma, she became an immediate star. Other films soon followed, such as 100 Men and a Girl, That Certain Age, Mad About Music, and Can't Help Singing. Many of her films featured her in a singing role. About 12 years after making her first movie, Ms. Durbin retired from the screen in 1948, following completion of her two last films, Up in Central Park and For the Love of Mary. Esther Williams, whose success as a competitive swimmer propelled her to stardom in the silver screen in the 1940s and 1950s, died on June 6th at the age of 91. Ms. Williams is best known for films that featured synchronized swimming spectacles. She grew up in Southern California and was a U.S. swimming champion in freestyle and the breaststroke by her late teens. But her Olympic dreams ended in 1940 when the Summer Games that year were canceled because of World War II. She auditioned and won the role to appear next to motion picture star Johnny Weismuller in the San Francisco Aquacade Review, a Broadway musical in swimsuits. Shortly thereafter, MGM signed her, and she made her movie debut alongside Mickey Rooney in the 1942 film Andy Hardy's Double Life. Ms. Williams went on to appear in more than 20 films through the 1950s, including Bathing Beauty, Neptune's Daughter, and Million Dollar Mermaid. Many of these roles featured her as a swimmer. Esther Williams will always be remembered for these Technicolor films and the fashionable swimsuits she wore in them. Slim Whitman, the famed country singer with a high-pitched yodel who sold millions of records through ever-present TV ads in the 1980s and 1990s, died of heart failure on June 19th at a Florida hospital. He was 90. Mr. Whitman's tenor falsetto and dark mustache and sideburns became global trademarks and an inspiration for countless jokes, thanks to the TV commercials that pitched his records. But he was a serious musical influence on early rock, and in the British Isles he was known as a pioneer of country music for popularizing the style there. Slim Whitman also encouraged a teen Elvis Presley when he was the headliner on the bill, and the young singer was making his professional debut. Mr. Whitman recorded more than 65 albums and sold millions of records, including 4 million of the All My Best LP that was marketed on television. His career spanned six decades, beginning in the late 1940s, but he achieved cult figure status in the 1980s. His appearance as an ordinary guy singing romantic ballads struck a responsive chord with the public. He yodeled throughout his career and had a three-octave singing range. He was born Otis Dewey Whitman, Jr. in Tampa on June 23, 1923. He worked as a young man in a meatpacking plant, at a shipyard, and as a postman. He was able to get on radio in Tampa and signed with RCA Records in 1949 with the help of Colonel Tom Parker, who later became Elvis Presley's longtime manager. RCA gave Mr. Whitman the show business name Slim. He was a slender six-foot-one to replace his uninspiring birth name. In 1952, Slim Whitman had his first hit record, Love Song of the Waterfall. With these early hits, he became a star on the Louisiana Hayride radio show. Slim Whitman's other hits included Rosemary, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You, Red River Valley, Danny Boy, and I'll Take You Home Again, Kathleen. And those are the obituaries for this time around. We remember all of these individuals who contributed to our enjoyment and entertainment of radio, television, motion pictures. Mike, some heavy hitters there in that list that we just lost. Oh, Esther Williams, I remember 
I don't know, maybe I was four or five, and there was a, Esther Williams, one of her movies where she did the high dive and the synchronized swimming with all the ladies and the flowers, and they had opened up, oh, and I yeah. thought, there really are mermaids. There they are. There's proof there are mermaids. There's proof there are mermaids. You know, Mike, I never learned how to swim, and watching Esther Williams go through all those routines underwater while holding her breath was just amazing for me, for a kid like me. Well, and, <laughs> and the fact that she had no fear of the water and actually no. no fear of heights. No fear of heights either. She did some incredible high dives, and she would... You saw her in the movie swinging on those swings, the, almost like the, the uh, trapeze water swings. trapeze yeah. over the high dive. She'd over do the, the high dive, 40-foot high dive, double gainers, oh, then go yeah. deep water into the deep pool, come back up, right. and she could probably hold her breath for two, three minutes. Yeah. she had Her breathing skills were perfected. And also, I happen to think she was one of the prettiest ladies yeah. in motion pictures. She was a beautiful lady. And those Esther Williams movies, most of them are just colorful spectacles anyway. Exactly. And she was really... Uh, Really something special, and uh, how sad that we've lost her. Well, some of the younger listeners out there should check out, if you get, I don't know, probably Turner Classic will run an Esther Williams once in a while, or you might be able to pull them down on Apple TV or Netflix, but try to watch and digest what we watched and digested, and what was entertainment, what was two hours of entertainment or 90 minutes of entertainment for us back in the late 50s, early, mid-60s. Uh, you didn't have a whole lot of storyline or drama. You just had, I guess, what do you call it? It's eye candy? Eye candy. It was Technicolor. Yeah. It was exciting. It was in color. It was You had beautiful ladies like Esther Williams. You had all these wonderful swimming routines. It was eye candy. Yeah. Yeah. And then eye candy turns to ear candy, Slim Whitman. I, Slim Whitman. There are people, and there were movies that actually spiffed the work of Slim Whitman, and of course, he was not being Crosby or Frank Sinatra. He had what we call nowadays a niche audience. But actually, Slim Whitman, his voice and his music was the voice that saved planet Earth in Mars Attacks, if you remember that, his yodeling. And, of course, my favorite <laughs> Slim Whitman is, I remember you. Yeah, I can't right. go that high. No, Smitty, no. I'll, I'll break the windows out in the studio. Uh-oh, we don't want that. <laughs> but Slim Whitman with the pencil mustache. And, again, younger listeners, for a guy who... Guy who had his career in the 50s and 60s, he was pretty suave with the pencil mustache, and he almost looked like a wolf to me. He always almost reminded did. me of a wolf. He did. Almost a lone wolf. And he did. And, uh, you know, my memory is being at home watching TV with my dad and having the Slim Whitman commercials come on yep. in the early 80s. And I remember uh, watching them and thinking, who is this guy with the long sideburns and the pencil mustache and... But we remember him also. He was also a very important figure in the world of music. Yeah, he was. And uh, they will be missed. And we would like to thank and honor the people we've just spoke about for contributing to American pop culture and making growing up in the 50s and 60s a lot more interesting than it, than it would have been without them. Exactly, Mike. And what about Jonathan Winters? What a multi-talented individual he was. Oh, I've been saving up for that one. Jonathan Winters, for a guy, and I had the pleasure and the privilege of actually sitting down and having a glass of iced tea at the Miramar Hotel in Santa Barbara. I believe it was 1993 at the Santa Barbara Writers Conference. Jonathan Winters was doing one of the keynotes that night. And just sitting there and just seeing the apprehension sitting by him, he wondering if I was going to be a fan. Can you can you autograph my t-shirt mm. or, or my, my tennis racket cover or whatnot? And I just sat there because I've, I've learned to respect celebrities and notables. And I sat down and said, how you doing, sir? How's it going? And, he looked, and we talked for about 45 minutes. Wow. How about that? And I think he appreciated the fact that it was just a guy talking to a guy. 
And I forgot the details of what we talked about, but we never talked about his career. He was that kind of guy. But, you know, when the lights came up and the microphones went on, the cameras started rolling, he was on. And he gave 110%. And uh, many of our listeners who grew up as fans or who were fans of Jonathan Winters know he went through a serious bout of depression, clinical, deep clinical depression. He was actually hospitalized and treated. And, Smitty, you know the story about that, how, how he dealt with it, faced it fought it, and it actually it turned out good for his career. It, it turned out good, Mike, because as soon as he was released from treatment, he was offered the role that he had on It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And he was um, somewhat doubtful whether he should take the role or not. He was going back and forth. He was talking it over with his wife, and his wife told him, you'd better take this role, otherwise you will never work again. And you saw how brilliant he was in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And just one of those guys almost... I don't know. I don't want to compare Jonathan Winters to Dick Van Dyke, but a guy who could get into any role. Imagine Jonathan Winters being the baby on Mork and Mindy, mm-hmm. and then could actually be a ruthless, cold-blooded shark, as you say. Right. In that yeah. one episode, the pool of the, shark. Of the Twilight Zone, yeah. I, uh, that, was almost, that was almost a dark, evil side. It was, yeah, it was. And his versatility, he also, as we noted in the, in the obit, he uh, was a featured performer on uh, NBC monitor back in the 1960s and what he would do is he would go and do his nightclub act and then he would repeat the nightclub act on the radio and uh, tell how people reacted and how they liked it and he was just all over the place and uh, what a loss jonathan winters had a long and successful career bounced back from uh, his time of illness but uh, he came back stronger and better and we uh, certainly were the better for being the uh, recipients of his fine entertainment. And it's always bittersweet to have these obit sections on the show on Galaxy, but it's bittersweet because you don't want to lose them, but you remember how much they contributed to your years as a young adult or growing up or throughout their whole career, even the reruns of today. They will be missed, and we would like to thank and honor them for the contribution they've they made to American pop culture and Smitty great work. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. And this is uh, another one of our summer shows. We've had uh, two other previous ones prior to this one, but we did want to pause a few minutes and remember these great people who we lost recently. But we have some more fun summer topics coming up on the second half of our show, so don't go away because we have a retro commercial coming up. And then we'll be back, Mike B. and myself, we'll be back with more fun stuff for you. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. Time for Bosco and Dick Van Dyke. I know you won't believe it, but I wasn't always big and manly like this. I used to be weak and puny when I used to play ball with the kids. It's heavy Ooh. I was a flop. And then my mother discovered Bosco syrup. I began to have lots of Bosco and milk. Oh, that real chocolate flavor. One tablespoon of Bosco, a quick stir, and then that vitamin D, that iron, that real chocolate flavor. Now look at me, strong, handsome, thirsty, on the level. Bosco's the greatest. One product for everything. In milk, hot or cold, on ice cream. Bosco chocolate flavored syrup. Go get some. I wonder what that bottle of Bosco found in an attic 35, 45 years later would be like. I wonder what it would taste like. 
Well, I wonder how long it would burn as a highway flare in a case of an emergency. <laughs> Stick that, a wick in it and uh, wow. it, it'll burn for days. Oh, they did a research study of that <laughs> stuff we grew up with. What, we're all supposed to be dead now. We're or, not supposed or, to be here. Or glowing in the dark or, you know, have five heads attached to our neck. But I guess we did okay, Smitty. We did okay, Mike. We actually pulled it off. <laughs> uh, look at Din, Dick Van Dyke. He didn't gain a pound. He did not. He drank all that Bosco. Except he's running around now dressed like Mary Tyler Moore, but that's a whole different that's story. A whole different story. For another episode of Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside, we do welcome you back, folks, to Galaxy Moonbeam. We are the Galaxy Nostalgia Network, the retro show, and we are in the midst of summer. We're not quite at the dog days of summer. We're at the, uh, what, litter of puppy days? Litter of puppies days. That's a good way of putting okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm panting all right. It's still hot. You know, I'm thinking, well, we just got done with uh, Independence Day holiday, July 4th weekend, and uh, that was always a time, Smitty, where right after July 4th, my dad would, he would be making overtures with the Auto Club map book with the oh, highlighter wow. on where we were going to go on the family vacation. Yeah. And this is when families actually went on vacation together, and they planned vacations, and in our case, we had a travel trailer there were no motorhomes, folks. I mean, unless you were uh, Ken Kesey and one of the Merry Pranksters and you got a school bus and tricked it out and, <laughs> you know, put a, put a potbelly stove in there and assorted pharmaceuticals, you did not have motorhomes. <laughs> you either rented what they called a travel trailer or you owned one. We owned a Terry trailer. And it was very old, and it was made from wood and, I believe, corrugated metal on the outside. It was very, very hot and uncomfortable on warm summer nights inside. And we hitched that up. My dad would come home, and we'd have a week or two to hit the road. We'd hitch that to the back of the family station wagon, Wow! and off we would go. And sometimes we would go east. On the Mother Road, Highway 66. 66, Route 66. Sometimes we'd go north. And my recollections were of all the peculiar things that we saw on the trip. Because after about the first two or three hours, and you're a little kid in the backseat of the station wagon, uh, it gets rather boring. There's only so many games of, what do they call it, license plate bingo? Right, yeah. Yeah, license plate bingo and... yeah. So you play the license plate bingo, and we lived in Los Angeles, so that got you right around to San Bernardino. <laughs> and then it was what to do, what to do, when we're going to stop, why can't we stop there, Dad? Are we there yet? Yeah, are we there? <laughs> and in the case of my dad, how long will it take till we get there? And my dad will always answer, the whole time, the whole time. <laughs> But we get out there, and, and traveling Route 66 was an experience for me as a little kid because there were so many quirky things out there. Most today they call them tourist traps. They right. were they were date shake stands shaped like Indian teepees and root beer float stands shaped like root beer barrels yeah, and yeah. Navajo craftsmen yeah. uh, buy your Navajo rugs here, buy your. Uh, Buy your pecan rolls here. Remember the pecan rolls? Sure, there yeah. were stores all along 66. You had to have a pecan roll or what good would going on vacation do? That's right. You had to have proof that you had had been on the mother road, so you had to have a, a pecan roll. A pecan roll. You had Stucky's Restaurant and Howard Johnson's. Yeah, Howard Johnson's. We never got to go there. You know, uh, my dad saw no sense in it. And nowadays, 
45, 50 years later, I can see exactly why. It was a neat, slick way to remove your parents from the money in their wallet that they would rather use for other things on vacation. But you take 66, and I remember going out there. I remember the year 1965, a very interesting year. We went back for a family reunion in Savannah, Georgia. And that was probably one of the most humid, hot summers on record. And we're in the Ford Fairlane station wagon, pulling this heavy trailer, me and my two little brothers, my mom and dad in the front seat, and I remember Oklahoma quite well. Hot. Mm. Lordsburg, New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Lordsburg. Muddy, humid, hot, and it smelled bad. (laughs) Texas. It seemed like it took three and a half months to get from one end of Texas to the other. (laughs) Then we got to Savannah, Georgia, where it was 99 degrees with 97% humidity. Wow. You were actually living in a sauna bath all day long. You never got dry. Wow. But the thrill of the family vacation, the road trip... I think as you're growing up, you remember those thoughts because you never forget pulling over and maybe having a picnic lunch mm-hmm. in Mississippi, and there were bugs. And I remember Mississippi at night, they were the lightning bugs. I read about them, but I never saw them. And, and the wonderment, the adventures you see when you're a little kid growing up, as only you can see from a car, from a station, a hot station wagon <laughs> with the air conditioner overheated, with all the windows down. 105 degrees outside, there's still things that just blow your mind. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, We never took any of those road trips on Route 66 when I was a kid, but actually even as recently as a few years ago, I took a road trip, and there are still sections of Route 66 that are still very, very active, that are still restored. And I did some fun stuff like stop in at the the teepee-shaped souvenir stand and walked in there and all the neon and there's still a lot of the old motels and the restaurants with the neon and you get a taste in today's interstate world where there's a mcdonald's or a burger king almost at every exit and you got a sort of a an idea what it was like back at that time period mike when you're talking about the 50s the 60s traveling and uh, you'd get to some fancy-looking or neat-looking neon-covered place, and what's going on in there? What are they doing in there? Look at all the lights. Look at the flashing lights. Look at the teepee. Did you ever see the uh, the blue whale or the big, tall uh, cowboy in your travels or any of that oh, stuff? Oh, the cowboy? The, yeah. about the, the dinosaurs? The dinosaurs? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, and the reason this is so precious to my memory is I have children, and my two daughters are grown, but you, have, you take a road trip with kids now, and you better make sure the Game Boys and the Nintendo games are charged up, or you're going to have a car full of screamers. It, that is if you all go together in a car. Yeah, if you go together and So the... they're all looking down, miles and miles. <laughs> we had nothing to do but look out. Right, right. And wonder, going through Alabama, people living in shacks, and they had the refrigerators out on their front porches. I, I, that was beyond belief for me. Sure. There were people, types of people that I didn't imagine lived in this country. I thought they all looked like me and my brothers and my mom and dad. And the the social studies education that came along with doing a road trip on a family vacation. And again, there was not the type of technology where now everything's technical you need to be entertained by some electronic digital device at all times i can tell you another story about going up the coast of california and a big attraction was a place called the trees of mystery now that's a tourist trap where you get in and actually take people's money to take them on little pathways around redwood trees 
But you had to go to Trees of Mystery because that was a place everybody said you had to go. And what was worse, for my dad anyway, is everyone who came back on opposite traffic, the Trees of Mystery people, while they were parked there enjoying the Redwoods for $6 a piece, oh, wow. they would get a bumper sticker on the front bumper of their car saying, we saw Trees of Mystery. Oh. Every other car that came back down that highway, they got to go to Trees of Mystery. So guess the pressure that my mom and dad, well, I guess we better go check out the Trees of Mystery. And uh, tourist trap, but right. remembering the tall redwood trees and being there and actually being part of it. And, yeah, you see two big redwood trees, the oldest trees in the history of the earth, and you're pretty much done with redwood trees. The next stop is over at the ice cream stand and the souvenir shop. Yeah, that's right. Where you get the truck that's been uh, planed out of redwood. The Redwood Fire Truck. The Redwood Fire Truck. But the simple things, and, and that truck was everything. And We didn't listen to transistor radio. You had the window down, you looked out the window, right. and you got to see what was going on. The ocean, Big Sur, uh, watching the waves crash, and it was family. You didn't have your best buddy there. You weren't texting your friends. You were there with your siblings and your, and your mom and dad, in my case, and you had a picnic lunch, and get back in the car, we're getting back on the road. That's right. There was no middle area. And all the different things that you would see, Mike, which I can reflect upon now on my road trips, you see the, the red soil in Oklahoma, the flat land in, in New Mexico and Arizona, the distant mountains. You see perhaps a railroad, uh, and, a, and there's a a train going down, and the train's kind of traveling along with you. That's several miles away, but you can see it. It's all flat. And again, like what you were saying, the different people that we meet, the different people that this country is made of that uh, was the same back then as it is today. Well, we create friendships with people now that we never meet physically. They're on a a shiny piece of glass. That's right. Either on our phone or our computer. Our good friend, our Galaxy Good Guy cohort, George Halalakos, has a story coming up about... The 50s and 60s and being a baby boomer and doing your first vacation by an airline yes, carrier. Yes. And that's the whole thing in itself. We had a couple of brothers in my school that their dad was a teacher or something. Actually, he was doing better than my family was. And he took mom and the boys to Hawaii. They flew to Hawaii. And I could only imagine what that was like to get on a plane and actually go to Hawaii. Where the heck is Hawaii? I know they became a state a few years ago, but what's going on? Where is it? Pineapples. And yeah. Girls that wear these bamboo dresses. This sounds cool. In yeah. places you can only imagine. I can now, only imagine, yeah. At a few flicks of your keyboard, you're in Hawaii. You're in Hawaii, and you can see all the pictures and everything that you need to, everything you wanted to know about Hawaii. Well, you know, Smitty, and we might bring this up, too. This is an international show. This goes right. out, and the three years we've been here, it's been incredible, the people who have reported in from where right. they're at. And we would encourage you to get in touch with us, because we're talking about a couple of Southern California San Diego, L.A. guys that got out in all the wonderment. But there's listeners out there. You've been raised in Northeast and Maine, New York City, and it was a big thrill and adventure to come out to the West Coast and see the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time and how that was. Share those stories with us because we'd love to hear from you. It's an interactive show. We're inspired and creative and productive primarily on the ideas and suggestions by our listeners. And you can catch us at Galaxy Moonbeam Night Site. Dot com, Our Facebook page, and we'd love you to like us and friend us and cohort us, 
And Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight, right, Smitty, at Facebook? That's right, yeah, the Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight yeah. page on Facebook. And uh, you don't have to be a member of Facebook. You, It's a public page. That's you right. You just go on there and look at it and look at the pictures that we've got. And no cover charge. No cover charge. And uh, we do post pictures. There's a two-drink minimum, though. There is, yeah. But, uh, you know, but we're easy. And we do post pictures up there that some of our friends send in once in a while. So we have a lot of uh, neat things. If you look at our website, you also need to look at our Facebook page because oftentimes we have different things on each one. Yeah, there's different things going on there because we administer them differently. Facebook's kind of the way we talk to our galaxy good guys and good gals. And the website's kind of a place where people come when they don't know who the heck we are, but they heard about us from a friend. That's right. But we do appreciate it. And please keep in touch with us. Let us know your summer memories over the years. They're so important, not only to us, but to the other listeners here at Galaxy. They are. And we are almost at the end of this show. But again, we encourage you to drop us an email at galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. Galaxymoonbeamnightsight at gmail.com. And do look at our website and our Facebook page. And we'd love to have you join us there. Well, Mike, that's the end of this show. And, uh, We uh, certainly look forward to being with our friends again next time. Okay, and thank you on behalf of Galaxy and our friends and producer team and all the Galaxy good guys and good gals out there. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. And we'll be talking at you soon right here on Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.